Don't think I will even ask you to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's the most preposterous thing I could ever tell you to do. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Whether you serve him or not, whether you bless him, curse him, hate him or love him, he is the Lord of your life because God has given him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. Some of you will bow out of the grace that has been given to you and others will bow because your kneecaps will be broken by the one who rules the nations with a rod of iron. But I'll not apologize for this God of the Bible. Friends, welcome to the For the King podcast. This is your host, Rocky Ramsey. I am joined this episode with a good friend, Andy. Welcome, brother. Thank you. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Excited to have you. Um, how uh, how'd you end up here? How'd you end up here doing this with me? Well, we decided to watch a documentary together that we thought was interesting called um, by Graham Hancock called Ancient Apocalypse. Yep. And it was good. It was, it was good. We had a good time. We would get together in the evening after the workday. Mm-hmm. We live pretty close to them, and uh, we would just we would just watch Graham Hancock's little docu series on Netflix, and had a lot of fun uh, breaking it down and talking about it. So you could look at the fruit of our work on the cover image of uh, th- this podcast episode. You can see uh, our timeline that we came up with. Um, you know, interacting with some of the stuff that Graham Hancock exposed us to. So. That's going to be kind of a we'll, – we'll circle back to that throughout the podcast, but uh, that, that's kind of what we did and what we're interacting with this episode. Um, so maybe before you listen to it, you can go look up a little bit about Graham Hancock, um, just a little bit about him, um, some you know cursory stuff. Uh, he's a British, British man. Um, I mean Wikipedia says he promotes pseudoscientific theories, but he's been on Joe Rogan and talks about uh, a lot of his investigative journalism – in mainly the realm of archaeology and history. That's kind of where he camps out at. And he has a few books out. Um, I found one on Audible. I'm going to listen to it at some point. Um, so he's you know, he's got some literature out. Uh, he now has this docu-series and stuff. He's been interviewed by a lot of different um, other journalists or media outlets or whatever. So he's, he's pretty popular. And he's again, he's been on Joe Rogan. So um, you can go listen to his, his interview with him. But he does. He looks at that... Um, the archaeology and history as an investigative journalist. He's not uh, really that by trade, I guess, or by expertise. So that's who this man is. And he just recently released, what was it, this past year, right? I think, this, yeah, I think it was yeah, in it's very recent. November. Yeah. yeah, very, very recent, very new um, series. And it's maybe, I mean, I don't know for certain, but it seems like it's a compilation of his work. It's it's like a it's like a good entry point into what he's been doing for a long time. Yeah, it's a great summary. Some of his books are a little bit longer and seem harder to get into. Yeah. The one I found on a um, Audible uh-huh. is free, called "Fingerprints of the Gods." Oh yeah, um, I've heard of that. That's one. like a twenty-hour audiobook, so so hefty book. So <laughs> I, I might do that at some point. But so so that's the topic for today. It's a uh, you know we're going to be talking about a- the ancient apocalypse uh, series on uh, Netflix, and um, the point of that series, I guess, to give uh, some background on that as we introduce what's going on here is walking through uh, his timeline or his presentation of human history uh, from evidence that he's compiled um, and and set up kind of his own framework of how he views human history. So uh, there's 10 series – or sorry, there's there's 10 um, episodes in the series. And we wanted to pick out a few of the major sites that he goes to because it's basically him going to a site and interacting with the site and talking about it. That's what each episode is. So the first episode, he goes to a place called Gunung Padang or something. Padang. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I think it was in Indonesia, one of the yeah. islands out in the Pacific there. Yeah, Indonesia. And it's basically a massive brick-like structure that has multiple chambers buried beneath it. So that's how he kind of introduces it. Whoa, we have this you know, 10,000-year-old um, structure. That's really, you know, really, really old uh, site. Yeah. That the people that would have built it supposedly would have been nomadic and hunter gatherer and and kind of infantile in their thinking, mm-hmm. like infantile humanity. Yeah. Yet they built this massive, massive structure that is chambered and dug into the mountain, 
So he begins his claim, uh, uh, slowly building up, starting there, that, oh, wow, maybe these humans uh, 10,000 years ago weren't stuck in the, the Bronze Age or stuck in the Stone Age. Maybe they were able to build massive structures and they were architecturally sound in the way they would build things, yeah. you know, way more than we think or anticipate out of people in that age. So that's where he starts out, yeah. and that's kind of the first site. Anything there you want to – well, one of my favorite points from, from that site was he mentioned that the stones, so if you look up a picture, there are all these different rocks that are like oblong. They're kind of like, uh, like big spikes. They almost look like spears. Yeah. And he mentions that there aren't any of those, that type of rock in the analysis that you do of the rock. There aren't any of that type of rock naturally occurring uh-huh. around the site. So he mentions that they're, they had to be imported uh-huh. from like, hundreds, thousands of miles away. And like, you think about, I, I mean, during COVID, we couldn't even get our own supply chain to yeah, work. Right. Paper. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so you think about like these, um, these hunter gatherers in popular culture or popular archeology span that are transporting like a whole mountain full, essentially of these rocks that mm-hmm. are hundreds of, thousands of tons yeah massive huge yeah Yeah. huge amounts of rock yeah and i mean just to think about like think about the archaeological impact that would have is just insane yeah yeah no that i I forgot about that i mean yeah the stones they were like they're like just kind of scattered throughout the the mountainside yeah um but clearly pattern yeah that's pattern yeah yeah. he goes over that they're like rooms and here's an inner chamber Uh at that at that innermost chamber is where you have those like deep caverns that Rocky mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And they still haven't even excavated that yet. So it'll be interesting, I guess, as archeology span continues on that train of thought that he's presenting that, Oh wow. These people uh, were, this is an older civilization doing something pretty spectacular. Yeah. So that's how he begins again. His argument here is going to be that humans are Ancient humans are much more advanced than the current contemporary archaeology would would say. Mm-hmm. That you know we have like Bronze Age or Stone Age humans that can't really build anything, and they're more nomadic. I guess Bronze Age is when people start to settle, but Stone Age they're just running around and gathering things and eating fruit and, and hunting animals and following herds of animals all over yeah. the world, and they're not settling down and building massive things on mountainsides. Well, he this is where he starts to build his argument that it, that that it is. So, so that that's the main claim here on that first site. Then uh, we can start moving on to some more episodes. One one of the episodes he goes to a Mexican temple, and uh, he starts to dive into ancient lore of these these ancient societies that are way older than than you know uh, Iron Age or whatever Bronze Age. Like yeah. we're talking about, these are Stone Age civilizations that have the lore that he's going to interact with. So at this Mexican temple. I forget what the what the name of God is and stuff and all that, but we have a story of a God that um, comes to these people to teach them um, civilization. Right? He he comes to them on the water, I think. Yeah. And there are giants. There are massive humans that are like thirty feet tall that help them build these temples and build civilization and stuff. So that that's that's a, a part of this lore here. And then he looks at the temple and sees some spectacular things that these ancient humans did there as well. Um, moving on to the, the temples of Malta, that's a, that's going to be a, a kind of, he continues to build on this. So that's one of the next sites he goes to, um, here at the, on Malta, which is a, an Island, um, South of Italy in the Mediterranean, actually Paul went to Malta. So it's kind of cool thinking about this site specifically because yeah. Paul would have seen these things probably while he was preaching or maybe even preached at one of these temples. Yeah. But there was like, there's a bunch of temples scattered throughout that whole Island that are these big stone structures. There are serpents depicted on them. There are some some. Uh, we start to get some, not hieroglyphs, but like uh, I guess just like art I symbolism, guess. symbolism and yeah, art. Art. And uh, what's really unique about these is they are uh, each of these temple complexes are oriented towards Sirius. Yeah, Sirius. Sirius star. The star Sirius, and he tracks. He actually goes into. You know, a da- uh, you know, a constellation database to track how the stars moved over time, and he starts dating these temples based on where Sirius was, um, according to these temples and how they're oriented. Because right. they're no longer tracking Sirius, but they would have been 
back then. Yeah, and just to clarify, the reason that he didn't pick Sirius out of random, that would at the time, and might still be, the brightest star in uh, the sky. So that would have held significance exactly. to uh, civilizations at that time. Yeah, when they're looking at the... Ha- like that was probably... Well, they probably had lore behind that one star, too. Like, it's exactly. a certain god or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so anything else there? That, that's pretty much the big point there. So we start seeing stars tracking. So we see high-level astronomy yeah. from apparently hunter-gatherer nomadic people. Right. We see high, high-level mathematical geometry, especially in the architecture of the whole complex, just pointing towards one star in the sky. Right. I mean, that's that's pretty intense stuff. I mean, I don't... It would take us a second to figure that out. Yeah. We're modern man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think one thing that I like to point out there also is like there are over I think over twenty of these temples built. Yes, yeah, there are over twenty, <laughs> yeah. and none of them There's are pointed the same way. And his theory on this is that as the star Sirius would have moved slightly, uh, actually I think it's Earth moved slightly in its rotation, uh-huh. that Sirius would not line up with the gap. Um, in their temple where they saw Sirius, where, yeah. it would, where it was supposed to line up. So they'd have to build this whole new huge stone temple. <laughs> keep tracking it. Yeah, yeah, which would have been Crazy. this huge, yeah, um, architectural undertaking. Yeah, so they had resources not just to build it once. Like, oh, here's the big thing exactly. we're going to do. It's like, well, apparently they had enough manpower and extra resources to dedicate every hundred plus years. hundred years. Yeah, yeah, to build a new one of these massive temples. So that's a, that's a pretty important site for him, seeing not only high level high level architecture but astronomy. Right. So then we get to uh, moving away from the Mediterranean, going to the Caribbean. There was an, there's an island. I forget what the island name is, but an island in the Caribbean where there is a road like structure that starts on land and and descends into the sea mm-hmm. uh, in this on, on this island. His main main point here is where was this road leading to? Was it Atlantis? Right. He that's when uh, that episode is where he starts to bring up you know Plato's accounts of Atlantis and mm-hmm. it being a mighty city and uh, having lots of technology and, and being advanced and stuff. Right? Yeah. So again, he's trying to push this this narrative that humans are more advanced in the past. So he's going to take Atlantis very seriously, and he's he's kind of presenting here the Bimini Road might be connected to like a, a transport network from Atlantis in the past. Yeah. So he, he brings up that, but what I thought was extremely fascinating out of that episode is he has these old projections from like Spanish explorers yeah. that are based on – there's like a list of the projections that it was based on, the data, basically the database for the projection that are date back thousands of years. And on those Spanish projections, those maps, mm-hmm. uh, there are land masses that were totally different than what we see now. Yeah. Uh, there's a land mass that – uh, on the southern end that he says was where the ice extended mm-hmm. during the last ice age before the Younger Dryas. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is an interesting point. Uh, I think they would have known it was ice and not land, <laughs> you know, and maybe drawn it a little different. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it literally was land uh, or, or maybe, you know, his, his thesis is correct that it was ice. But I thought that was fascinating. And maybe there's some more work I think maybe Christian archaeology can do there yeah. uh, thinking about these these old projections, these old maps that were extremely accurate, but show really weird land masses that are not there at all. Yeah. Similar to like, right, Atlantis sinking. Yeah. Uh, that was a land mass that apparently was above uh, sea level at one point. Now mm-hmm. it's below sea level. So we have land masses that have come in and out of existence and he takes that seriously. Yeah. You know? So any thoughts there? Yeah. I think, I think it's <sighs> so modern archeology span would say that the Bimini road is just a naturally occurring. Structure. Oh yeah, yeah, that and was a weird claim. If you like, so if you ha- if you haven't watched Ancient Apocalypse, essentially there are these huge, or if you haven't seen the road either, there are these huge stones that are like think of like Stonehenge type stones, like huge, yeah. enormous stones that are hundreds of tons probably, and they're leveled using smaller stones underneath them. Oh. And like, if you're thinking about leveling something like that, that's like something that you would do on like a landscaping project. Yeah. Like you would like make sure that it's like the stone when you're putting in the paper stone uh-huh. is like level and you might put in some extra dirt here and yeah, to keep make it sure. Yeah. But naturally, I don't know how you can 
look at a small stone underneath. How, how did that get there? It's uh-huh. clearly distinct. It yeah. never was part of that original stone. So I, I don't know how you can look at that and say that's naturally occurring. I don't know what, I don't personally know if Atlantis was a real civilization, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's hard for me to say that that is naturally occurring. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I thought he did really good work on that one. I forgot, yeah. I forgot there were stones sitting underneath. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think that one was pretty clear that, that that's a man-made structure. Uh, the, I mean, especially when there's no other stones arranged like that around the island because um, he, he, he kind of highlights it. They go, they go diving. They, yeah. they go scuba diving to look at uh, – you know, these big massive stone structures underwater, nothing else like it on the reef there. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very fast. They're massive. Whatever that road was used for the vehicles that were interacting with that road were massive. Yeah. And that's where we, we were looking at it and we thought, well, maybe the way that it leads up. So if you look up a picture of it, the way that it leads up to the, to the Island like that, whatever, I think it's like actually Bimini Island or Uh something. (laughs) I think, um, the way that it leads up to it in like a smooth way, we're like, well, that might've been a way of getting ships on and off the land for like fixing maintenance. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You might do. Yeah. 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 Marina. Right. Exactly. So you would bring them up on like rollers, like Mm -hmm. trees. (laughs) Yeah. I think that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And and that's probably what it was used for. And we still, uh, we can still see it today. And those, those rocks date back. Uh, you know, he, he, he puts it at a certain date and says, Hey, this is during nomadic humans. Uh, right. How could they have done this? So he, he continues that narrative with that really fascinating site. Um, then, uh, in the, the next episodes, he goes to Turkey and looks at this, this site called Go- Gobekli Tepe and another one in Turkey called Darren Kuyu. So Gobekli Tepe, uh, is just like a, uh, you know, a, a worship center. Basically there's a, there's a little head that's shaped like a serpent, so we get more of the like serpent imagery mm-hmm. uh, that was at Malta also, and we get uh, some of the zodiac signs start to be. He starts to expose that a little bit. So there's like Scorpio, there's a scorpion, and then there's a few other ones. I can't remember what they were, but right. uh, other kind of zodiac signs in the sky. And then again, there's just another temple, another high level temple, and uh, that's another site that is deep. They haven't excavated yet, but there's a bunch of chambers under there somewhere. So that one was pretty cool. And then somewhere else in Turkey, uh, there was another town. I think the town might be called Derinkuyu or something. Mm-hmm. But there's a town and you go in a house and similar to how like, you know, you have an old root cellar that hasn't been used since 1800s. It might be at an old house. Similar to that. But instead of going to a root cellar, it goes to a whole underground city basically. Yeah. And you walk through and it, it basically looks like an underground beehive. That's kind of what you can imagine. Or like an anthill. Or like an ant. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's probably a better way to put it. Like literally <laughs> an anthill. You know, like little rooms and chambers in the ground. Um, so the question is, what are these people hiding from? Did they, did they know there was a catastrophe coming and they built an underground city to hide from from something? So he kind of leaves that a little open-ended. But uh, by the end of the – we got one more site we're going to talk about and then we'll, we'll, we'll tell you his thesis. Um, anything, anything on those two you want to talk about? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. No. So then where he kind of ends at, I think in the ninth episode or 10th episode, because it only goes to 10, is the Serpent Mound in Ohio mm-hmm. in uh, um, America. This is huge structure that's dated pretty old. That's, again, astronomically literate. It's matching up with certain equinoxes, uh, times of the year with the sun. So we have a mound that's, again, a serpent. So we see the serpent imagery over and over and over again. We as Christians know where that comes from, but right. he, he, he takes it on a little different route. Uh, but uh, it's perfectly matching up to astronomical things so that they can they can probably worship the, the sun or something, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where he ends. He ends in America, and he looks at a lot of uh, – I think he goes up to like Oregon and looks at some crazy canyons up in – up in like northern America, kind of where the the uh, last ice age, the uh, glaciers would have extended, he said, yeah. and how these caverns would have been, uh, you know, these huge canyons and caverns would have been carved out during this event, Younger Dryas. Right. So he uses uh, all these different things to make a case that humans were. Uh, I'm sorry. I guess before we do that, do you have any wrapping up thoughts with all the sites? I don't think so. I was going to mention, um, I didn't want to spoil anything, but for a Gobekli Tepe um, and Derinkuyu, both of those, I think, 
have points that go back to his thesis uh-huh. yeah. and what that main event that's that he's leading up to. Exactly. So, without spoiling anything, okay. <laughs> go ahead, Rocky. Okay. So then, <laughs> so then the synthes- the way he synthesizes all that all that data, archaeological data, is he claims during this event around ten thousand years ago, which is where he's placing a lot of these temples and these sites he's going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these myths, these these myths that he's interacting with, where you have civilization being destroyed by some cataclysmic event, then you have some angelic like being coming to teach you civilization, and then giants being there to help you. Why does like every single civilization have that narrative? Well, he says because around the same time uh, of these temples, there was this event called the Younger Dryas, where we had um, an ice age that happened after um, a. There was a comet or some asteroid strikes the Earth, sends the Earth into an ice age or whatever. Yeah. And then, um, so that's where a lot of the people get wiped out. And then um, at the end of the younger dries, things start to heat up, and we have all these glaciers, all this extra water, you know, heat like heating up like crazy, and just flash flood events all over the world. We get a worldwide flood, basically, right? Or what seems like a worldwide flood to these people. Yeah. Buries all these ancient temples and things, and. You know, his claim is at, at the equator is where these people would have survived, basically. Um, so that's why we have on these high mountainous regions or these these kind of separate regions on Earth is where a lot of these temples are at and stuff. And, uh, the, you know, these temples that are built after this event tell of people that survived, that knew the tools of civilization and come to teach all these people um, how to rebuild civilization. And then each of these temples put that into their myth or each of these mm-hmm. peoples put that into their myth, which then on these newer temples are depicted as giants and angelic beings coming to them to teach them uh, the tools of civilization. So, yeah. so there's an old ancient, really highly intelligent people. And then all those cataclysmic events happen, massive flood and all that. And these, these people, most of these people die, but then near the equator, or there's some safe zone or something. These people survive. And then once everything you know, starts to go back out. Um, people start to spread again, and then teach civilization, and then that is um, that's how we get these myths. Yeah, and that's how we get these temples, these high-level uh, archae- archaeological temples. How do they exist, and why were people able to do that? Well, because humans actually were much intelligent prior to this cataclysmic event. Right. Um, so that is his main. That's how he synthesizes all this data, and that's going to be his claim. Yeah, from his kind of secular, atheistic worldview. Yeah, that's what he comes up with. So, it, did I leave anything out? Yeah, no, that that's good. It's just it, it's it, if you watch um, Ancient Apocalypse personally, I found it very anticlimactic. I know. I, <laughs> so he was building this whole case for this global event, this huge thing that was going to happen, and he was like, "Well, an asteroid hit." a glacier in Idaho that caused local flooding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it. so for me, I mean, that's not the global event that I was exactly. expecting to have. Yeah. He, um, so we're, we're going to get into that. Um, well, okay. So I, well, let's just, let's just piggyback off that. Like yeah. that, that's his operating assumption. The whole series is let's take these myths seriously. Right. And then at the end, his synthesis is, Basically, just throw all that out the door. Yeah, <laughs> None of the, like angelic beings, giants, uh, worldwide flood. Actually, we get none of that in his synthesis. Anything relating to serpents? Yeah, anything relating to serpents. He just he, he his claim is that serpents are comets, right? Comets in the sky. A comet will leave a small trail behind, a water vapor trail behind it. That's that is his. That's how he synthesizes all of that. Um, so it, it, I agree with you. It is anticlimactic, and it's. It's tough to hear him kind of boast in his novel idea when Christian archaeologists have been doing this for like a long time right. and already have solutions to all the problems that he's talking about. Yet he's an atheist undermining all that and then taking all of his assumptions seriously and then just completely disregarding it in the end. You yeah. Know? And still trying to fit it into an atheistic worldview and it fits so much better yeah. into a biblical worldview and a biblical timeline. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's what we want to present to you now. So that, that's, that is what this series is. Uh, that's the brief synopsis. Please go watch it and, and you know, find out for yourself. But he, here's our interaction. Here's our critique of it, uh, Andy and I. So here's, 
here's the the biblical timeline of human history that we want to propose. So if you can look at the the cover image, I mean it's very rudimentary what we what we came up with, but we just did this hanging out one night, and uh, you know I don't I'm not going to say it's perfect. I haven't like perfectly thought through all this. Mm-hmm. You know, we just kind of came up with that afterwards, but. Um, you know, we have the major events biblically that can help us sort through what happened to some of these temples or some of these these myths and stuff. So we have creation, mm-hmm. you know, Genesis one two, mm-hmm. then we have the fall of man, and three that man falls and falls into sin. Then I by- think it's I think it's important to also note as we're going into this that God created man in His image. Yeah. We were created advanced. Yeah, we were yeah, not exactly. created. As as evolution as would say, we weren't. Yeah, we weren't. Because because if we evolve from chimpanzees, monkeys, apes, we it would make sense that we oh we started out as hunter gatherers and then we slowly went through the iron age, the stone age, the bronze age, the iron age, and now we're at the peak. I mean that makes sense. Yeah. If you hold to that view, but as as believers. We would say that we're created in the image of God, exactly. distinct from animals, very distinct. Exactly, and we're, we're we are advanced. Yeah, and that's good. Yeah, that's I mean, good. Amen. We're created advanced. Yeah, that that's that's huge. That's our operating assumption. Yeah, Andy and I. That's what we're operating under. That humanity is advanced. We should have expected them to build like pretty sick temples. Like, yeah, it's not a big deal for humans. We've been right. doing that for a long time, and. We see in even Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, uh, Cain's descendants, Tubal Cain and all of them, they're working with metal. They are uh, good at stringed instruments and making music. Like, yeah. like again, like Andy's saying, we're already – we were made evolved yeah. in, in the image of God. We were yeah. made at the peak, you know, transhumanist in a say. We're already like – we already have the, the divine in us right. in a sense by being made in God's image. We have a soul. God gave us the breath of life. Uh, those are important operating assumptions that Christians should go into when thinking about archaeology and history. So it makes sense that there was a uh, – out of nowhere, all of a sudden, humanity is there on the scene making awesome temples. It's almost like we didn't evolve. Yeah, and from, like, a physical, and from a physical standpoint, you have people that are living – that are experts at these things, experts in string instruments, expert in stoneworking, metalworking, and they're living – for almost a thousand years. Oh yeah. So it makes sense if I mean think about how much of our lives we dedicate to learning. Like the first twenty I mean the first twenty years of our lives are yeah. learning and then we are productive for maybe forty years of our life. Yeah. And then we our Take brains that, pretty yeah. much die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to think through what how how much more productive we would be Oh, yeah. If one, we were able to learn for that much longer, exactly. continue to g- gather information, continue to build and create masterpieces of of our work. Uh-huh. Like if we had hundreds of years to develop something, what could we, what of could course. we create? Yeah, of course. We could. How much could we? Create? Imagine if Albert Einstein or Nikola Tesla had a thousand year life. Exactly. Yeah. Isaac Newton. Isaac, Isaac Newton. Newton. Yeah. What what would happen then? You yeah. Know? I mean, if you if these brilliant men had time, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that's a big point we need to think of and. Uh, what if there were giants to help? Yeah. What if we had bigger muscles? Right. You know? Like, um, so so we want to take that seriously too as Christians because you know in Genesis six that would be the, the next big event. So we had mm-hmm. the creation, fall of man, and we have the flood happening in Genesis six. Right. And that's a global cataclysmic thing that's talked about. It's a physical act. Yeah. Uh, it makes it rain on the earth, and there's fountains from the deep being bursting forth. That's a that's a pretty Big event. Cataclysmic, cataclysmic event. event. Yeah. So there's our cataclysmic event. And then after the flood, with all of that water vapor and with the, just the specific heat of water, the way water traps heat, there would have been an Ice Age-like event after a flood. Right. It would have naturally happened with the way water traps heat, um, and especially water receding that fast. And then in Genesis 11, we get Babel. <clears throat> we get these men building a super big tower. Yeah. And that word in Hebrew is not like a uh, like a fire tower you'd see in a, a forest that you're hiking at. We're talking about like a ziggurat. We're talking about a temple. Yeah. We're not talking about again uh, like a stick in the air or like a cell phone tower. Right. We're talking about a a massive, probably very beautiful, innate or not ornate ornate. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was looking for. Ornate um, like ziggurat. Yeah. A massive temple. That's what they built in Babel, uh, Genesis 11 here. So 
it kind of makes sense with what we see in the ancient world. There's ziggurats and temples everywhere. Yeah. Right? So then we have Babel, and then God scatters the people according to their language. So they go from a common culture with the same history. With the same cataclysmic event. same cataclysmic event happened to those people. And then God divides them, and they go all over the world and build similar temples with a similar myth. Right. That's exactly what we see Graham Hancock talking about throughout the whole series. Wouldn't that result in exactly what he's finding? Yeah. Exactly what he's theorizing? Yeah. We He asked the question, how in the world could all of these separate civilizations that were not seafaring, mm-hmm. they were not able to travel across the world and communicate like we think, all that kind of stuff, how would they have been able to do that? And everybody builds the exact same temples with the virtually the exact same myth. Right. How's that happen? So, the, again, he posits... Advanced ancient civilization that had seafaring and all that, which they did, 100%. They were in communication, but God scattered their languages uh, during all that, and then they weren't able to communicate any longer. So then they have – that's why we get the myths having slight differences according to that culture. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we see happening. That's what we we should expect under the biblical worldview, the biblical timeline of human history. And then uh, eventually Christ comes on the scene and redeems humanity. So those are like the major events of – of, of the world um, as far as the biblical timeline of human history is concerned. Yeah. So um, we, we fit some of our, you can look and see some of the um, things that we, we try to fit on our timeline here. Um, and I mean, you, you the Christian archaeologists would probably look at this and like laugh, I guess maybe like we have some <laughs> stuff wrong, but you know, our main operating thesis was just, uh, you know, things that in the narrative, are claimed to be buried under a flood or buried mm-hmm. items, we would say that's probably happened from the flood. Right. The flood happened and buried it. But then things that are more not buried, not super deep in the ground, but like there's all these cultural differences and a and, and, and the myth mm-hmm. talks about the flood, then we assume, like for instance, Atlantis, we don't have anything. Plato, Plato through Socrates doesn't tell us about Atlantis having a flood myth. Right. But in the myth of Atlantis is them uh, being flooded. So we're, we're going to say Atlantis is pre-flood. Right. But the myths, the, the civilizations that had myths of a flood, we're going to say that's post-flood. That's probably after Babel too because all the myths are different uh, according to the culture. So we, we try to map that out on here um, to the best of our ability. So that's going to be what we're going to propose is the timeline of biblical history and how we're going to fit in some of these uh, uh, some of these sites. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, one thing that I think is also interesting about just the the idea of Atlantis is um, multiple times in Ancient Apocalypse, multiple times in multiple different episodes, Graham Hancock mentions that why why was why was Atlantis destroyed? And he mentions he literally says because of their hubris. Because of their pride. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. as a Christian, you're going like, yes, yeah. of course. Uh-huh. That's exactly what God says in the Bible. That's that's what Genesis says, that they had grown wicked and there wasn't a man wanting to do the will of God. Yeah. And that's exactly what, what Graham Hancock is saying. Uh-huh. But, I mean, yeah. again, in his, in his description of, in his resulting uh, theory in the last episode where he talks about the um, the meteor shower, I guess, and this big comet and the younger Dryas as the result, like nowhere, nowhere is that a significant statement yeah. or nowhere is hubris mentioned. Again, if you can't, you can't judge a proud civilization if you don't have someone judging it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a ju- uh, if, if a judgment's passed, that assumes a judge. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was odd, the claims. I mean, another thing that was odd was when when the when the myth literally said there were giants that helped them build the temples, he says, well, what they really meant was we're talking about intellectual giants. We're not talking about actual giants. We're talking about just smart people that they viewed as giants. And you're just watching that like he just boasts the whole time that he's taking the myth seriously. And then he allegorizes the myth. Right. It's like, well, you're not taking it seriously anymore. Uh, he, he, 
he takes the flood part seriously. Why is the flood not just allegorized? Oh, it's just judgment through water. Yeah. The Bible talks about it and does talk about the symbolism of water, like the old that that ancient world was deluged. I think it talked about first or, first or second Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that old world was deluged, and then the new world came. Genesis six, right? So the world was baptized, but that was a baptism of judgment. Right. Baptism symbolizes both judgment and salvation, being cleansed by water, being baptized into the new kingdom of Christ. Mm-hmm. But then also we're we're being judged. Our old man's being judged, put to death. Yeah. So that's what water symbolizes, and God saved the world by flooding it because, like Andy said, there was no man found to do the will of God, so God judged them. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't take any of that seriously at all. No. Uh, it, it, any of the, the reality of the situation. He just he just treats it as a symbol. But yet he still points it out, which yeah, I think yeah. is interesting. It is. Because it's very interesting. It's like he's, he's playing this perfectly into a biblical worldview. Yeah. He's presenting the evidence just like I would as a biblical, yeah. with a biblical worldview. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was fascinating watching it and then he goes the wrong direction. Yeah. So that's, honestly, guys, that's why we wanted to do this episode is say, look, we have a better answer. We can, <laughs> like, let's just assume all of his data was well-founded. Yeah. Pretend this what's, is the last episode yeah, of just, his show. Yeah, exactly. Like, who's synthesizing it better, him or us? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's not even us. It's God's word. Right. I mean, it's not like we're doing anything novel here. We're just like assuming God's word is true and saying, wow, that's a much better answer yeah. to all the data he's presenting. Yeah. So that's why we're wanting to do this episode. So let's get into some maybe some more technical questions as we think about some of his claims and uh, you know what we're claiming. So, again, we're assuming the biblical timeline is accurate. How much can we stretch the biblical timeline? Uh, how much like can we look at what he says and say, well, we're just going to shove biblical timeline into it? How much right. can we do that? Or how much like do we need to maybe do some more work, I guess? What do you think? Yeah, it's hard because it's like what he's hypothesizing is that the world is essentially – I think he says like 10,000 BC is when this event happened, uh-huh. give or take, which would have been 12,000 years ago. And most young earth creationists would – which we are, uh, um, would say that the world is anywhere between six and 10,000 years old. Yeah. And we get that from a variety of places. I think most of the gaps that are filled in from history, we would say, are from the genealogies in the Bible, which, again, we believe are accurate. But then there's always a question of, well, did older genealogies, there's, there's instances yeah. where maybe certain like fathers were known or like, so that so it's yeah. then you're stretching that and that's where you get between the six and ten thousand year yeah. old, which would be eight thousand BC is when the world would have been created because obviously we're two thousand years after Christ now. Yes. Yeah. So thinking through that, yeah, that's that's a an interesting proposition to say. Well, could it could it have been twelve thousand years. years ago instead? And what what would that look like from a biblical yeah. perspective? Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a good question that we'd have to do some do some work on. Um, I mean, we, we obviously have to consider dating methods. He's going to be using mm-hmm. conventional dating methods, which have assumptions built onto them that would cater to a secular atheistic right. version of, of human history. Um, I think the one that we'd have to contend with the most would be just the uh, constellations of uh, yeah. him dating just based on the way stars are moving. Right. Especially um, Sirius yeah. and how specific he was able to get date that back to how each of the, how each of the temples lined up at a specific date. He counted, yeah, and went back to that like nine thousand something. Yeah, like yeah, like nine or yeah. ten thousand BC. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting claim, and it's something uh, we'd have to think more about. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, something I've heard is that when the fountains of the deep burst forth, it did alter uh, maybe the axis of the Earth. It moved the Earth faster yeah. than just its natural movement right. in the cosmos. So maybe that could have uh, thrown Sirius off faster and yeah. kind of changed. So I don't I don't know really uh, exactly what we can do with that, but I do. I, I mean, I I think we both agree we need to stay within that six to ten. I don't know if we can even stretch past that. I mean, maybe somebody has some interesting proposition genealogically that yeah. I mean, oh maybe they'll stretch back that far, but but still with what he's claiming, very close. Yeah, to we'll, what we'll take Christians we'll take twelve thousand. Yeah, compared to what thirteen billion. Yeah, I would I would one hundred percent. Yeah. And there's there's probably I mean what are you doing with dates like that and just kind of with a lot of assumptions built in right it's already difficult to get an accurate number yeah okay so um, 
Now, what from Hancock's documentary is stretched? Um, I think we've we've already hit on this a little bit. Some of the symbols he doesn't take seriously. Um, his claim at the end is all of these zodiacs and serpents that we see at these sites are them looking to the heavens, specifically the uh, I almost think of that one, Darren Kuyu, the um, underground bunker, basically. Yeah, remember that city we talked about? Yeah. You know, this is where his his claim comes into. You know, you you put a teaser at the beginning of the episode. We're going to circle back to that. Well, mm-hmm. his, his you know proposition on why they would have built an underground bunker essentially is because they knew uh, that there are comets that are rogue that can hit the Earth. That's what the Scorpio. All, all of the zodiacs are basically like timetables for them to know when certain comets come to pass, and that's why the serpents, which represent comets in his interpretation are there on the side as well because, mm-hmm. Oh, when you see Scorpio in the sky at this arrangement, serpents coming, yeah. which is the comet. So that's kind of what he's saying is they're basically tracking comet movement that are, could hit the earth. And Darren Kuyu was basically a place of refuge when a comet does hit the earth to basically not die from the fallout afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, interesting take. I mean, uh, in the biblical view, maybe they were trying to hide from John's God's judgment, or maybe they were, so, I don't know, somehow trying to avoid the flood. Yeah. I mean, or maybe it was just completely unrelated to that. Maybe it was just during a time when there was a big, huge army or a king yeah. around there. And yeah. they were just trying to hide from, from warfare or something. Yeah. I mean, who knows what exactly they used it for. Um, but he does say there's a lot of places for food storage and things like that. So it was he, he's kind of viewing it more as like a, like an underground bunker, a place to find refuge for to live for a while. Right. And that's like the only part, I feel like, of the documentary where the like the meteor shower happening makes more sense intuitively yeah. than a flood. Because yeah, like, it would well, just drown them out. <laughs> yeah, if it was water. But then, then we have to think about, we have to think through then, how exactly did the flood happen? Like, obviously, it rained. We know that. And we know that the fountains of the deep burst forth. But we don't know what that would look like. Yeah. But we don't have any idea what someone's reaction to that happening might be that yeah. catastrophic event. Like how, how did that look? I mean, again, we have like, assuming that the, I mean, that we have like lava under the surface, if water is bursting forth from the ground, I mean, it's going to probably, I mean, if the, you think about like te- tectonic plates that are shifting and breaking and uh-huh. moving, that would be causing this yeah, massive, speed. yeah, this yeah. massive, um, bursting forth of water that's flooding the earth like you think through like there would probably be lava in there too and like there would be some of these like hot rocks that would probably be falling from the sky but but that are and again i don't know but that's that like these are things that we can like think through we we know that the flood is accurate yeah so then it's just a matter of fitting in some of this evidence that he gives us and what the facts that we see from ancient civilizations, we can see from there what, like how to best interpret yeah. what the Bible says. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe they lived in a valley with dinosaurs and they didn't right. want to be around a T-Rex. Yeah. You know? Like there's like a lot of different ways we can think about it biblically. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I've heard there would, there would have definitely been very hot, vaporous water. Like yeah. scalding water um, pouring out of the earth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there's some things we think he stretches in the in the documentary that he doesn't take seriously. Uh, and especially the younger Dryas, he stretches that to make it like it would have covered. You know, it's a local flood, and uh, it doesn't square well with what he's claiming about the myths. Right. So, why? Let's talk through. He, he's not. He. Again, like I read earlier on the Wikipedia page, he's considered a pseudoscientist. He, he he's you know promoting quackery. Yeah, that's that's how he's viewed, and he's an atheist. He's an atheistic evolutionary guy, and even his own kin are you know fighting against him. So you know, let's just think through. Why is that? Why why is he even? Um, I guess rejected by contemporary archaeology. Yeah, because you think about it, and he's promoting 
uh, an evolutionary worldview. He's not exactly going against what evolutionists would say in in a theological sense or what they say about God. Yeah. But I think it again. You think through what evolution is trying to uh, trying to achieve, and it's trying to achieve a godless society. And if if there's an event like this that happens where man was advanced and then something happened where we weren't, I mean, some might theorize that, well, that's just people wanting to say that they're the most advanced at this current t- time and that's pride um, of now. But then we also have to think through, well, does... Again, does Graham Hancock's perspective fit more with the Bible yeah. and a God and, yeah, a biblical worldview? And I've, I think it's pretty clear that it does, because if you started to question some of his, some of his um, resulting theory in the last episode, you'd start to see some cracks. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, you, so you think they're sensing that? Uh, his contemporaries, atheistic, evolutionary contemporaries, are sensing that, like, whoa, you're kind of selling, selling the exactly, yeah, the ship here. Like, yeah, you're you're proving what the Bible uh-huh. is saying in a lot of ways. Yeah, because because the, the strong part is the is the is the evidence. Yeah, and that I mean that's what as as Bible believers we know that these things in Genesis happen. They actually happen historically. Yeah, so the evidence does point to that. It's just a matter of reading the data exactly. in that way because we trust the Bible above yeah. all truth. Yeah, and I think it's important to, when we think about presuppositional apologetics. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with that, Andy, but mm-hmm. that, that's kind of where I fall. I'm not really a classical apologist. And when when you enter into the scientific method, you have presuppositions that underlie the way you interpret data. Sure. So you can interpret data one way or the other based on your presuppositions that you hold to uh, prior to that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you presuppose that humans, you know, were created by evolution, then you're going to interpret data totally different. Uh, Rock rock data or things like that. Uh, You're going to say, well, it's got to be billions of years old because that's how long it takes to make a human. So, I mean, it's got to be that. So, we're only going to look look within that. Um, So, your presuppositions matter in the way you're you're conducting science. Uh, The scientific method presupposes a Christian worldview, rationality and logic and reason. Yeah. Um, The the scientific method cannot be used to verify that the scientific method works. You have to presuppose that it works based on logic and reason, which is only coherent in a Christian worldview. Yeah. It's the only place you get it. Uh, you don't get it from evolution. You don't get logic or reason or anything from from evolution. You just get surviving and reproducing animals. That's it. Yeah. So uh, you know, I think I think we do need to think about that. His 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 interpretation of the data is inconsistent with his his evolutionary atheistic, and he tries to maintain that consistency at the end of the the series. And we, we're kind of critiquing that and saying it's not. He's being inconsistent. Exactly. Um, anything there? Uh, nope. I think that was a okay. that was a good summary of that. So, how does the Younger Dryas flooding event compare with the global flood? Why does this little-known flooding event show the inconsistencies in modern science? Yeah, I think. I, yeah, <laughs> I think it's interesting that in school. I mean, I was homeschooled, so I didn't maybe have the same schooling experience that a lot of yeah. I was public school. I don't remember learning about that. <laughs> yeah, but like you think about the evolutionary model, and the idea is that. We evolved from mud into bacteria, into not fish, like frogs, amphibians. And then, oh, we decided to go walk up on land. Yeah. There are monkeys and then there are humans in a, in a very summarized view. That's yeah. what happens in evolution. And to have all that happen, you need to have a pretty um, un- uh, unchanging world, I guess yeah. you'd say. And apart from like a couple of major events that everybody knows about, like the comets that took out the dinosaurs, what that's what evolutionists would say. Yeah. Um, not the flood. It was a comet. yeah, a comet. Yeah, or a, I don't know if it was like all the fossils story ever said it. Yeah, and not <laughs> not buried based on the timeline. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so. 
So to say that the Younger Dryas, which archaeology assumes, like the archaeology as a, uh, even modern archaeologists would say that that's true. But if we say that's true, then you have to ask, well, that's not what evolutionary science assumes. They assume that it's, it's been this unchanging world for a long time. That's how we, that's how they can say that dating methods are accurate because we can see at places like Mount St. Helens where there's this, where there's this cataclysmic event that happens in a region that totally throws off how the dating method works. Yeah. And those rocks are dating back millions of years now. And that's how we get that. Oh, this layer of rock was a million years old was because from those dating methods. Uh And if, if we say that there are these cataclysmic events that happen Uh even regionally, then how can we, we have to say that dating yeah. methods aren't accurate then yeah. for that purpose? Exactly. Now that I think that's a good question. I think that kind of blows a hole in his his assumptions, right? Um, the global flood said all these myths. It would have produced the kind of dating that we see, yeah. You know, and the younger Dryas is not even if it is this local flood. I mean, that. That only happened twelve thousand years ago, and apparently the Earth's been here, you know, billions. So, yeah. how many cataclysmic events have resulted in carbon fourteen, carbon twelve, uh, you know, ratios being different and throwing off carbon dating? Yeah, or any of the, you know, the lower uh, element, uh, periodic table elements, date the dating methods. Yeah, um, and it just shows the like inconsistencies. Like yeah, that. it shows the inconsistencies between. The between widely accepted archaeology, yeah. which again, widely accepted archaeology would assume the younger Dryas. That's widely accepted in the field. So that's that's people that aren't Graham Hancock that would call Graham Hancock a pseudo archaeologist. They would say that the younger Dryas happened uh-huh. at the same time that arche- at, at the same time that scientists are saying that oh, the world's always been unchanging. Exactly. Yeah. So it just kind of blows a yeah. hole and the widely accepted narrative that yeah that that these um these different fields are able to be reconciled yeah when they clearly aren't yeah it's interesting i think it's a good point i think it's uh it's something to contend with here Mm -hmm. um oh yeah another point i want to bring up here that this is also showing uh the climate climate has been changing uh, that's just a part of the process of Earth uh, at all times. It's, yeah. it's waxing and waning. It has a certain equilibrium to it. There's a hotter time and there's a there's a cooler time. Um, and you know, our Earth is is not fra- it's not fragile. It's designed to do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's made to do this, just like our body's made to kind of within a range. Some people, their um, sitting temperature, their uh, homeostatic temperature, yeah. or whatever. It's going to be a little higher. Some people it's a little lower. There's a range. Earth is the same way. There's a range in that. Uh, and you can just look at that in ice core samples. We were, uh, I mean, that's already talked about. It's kind of funny that that's already like a widely accepted thing, but the climate change alarmists are not on board with that. But yeah, the, um, that perfectly shows that and blows that out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we kind of wrap up here, a few other things. Um, Okay, yeah, we kind of already touched on the inconsistencies between the inconsistencies between modern archaeology and science. Yeah, I think we hit most of that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, yeah, uh, I you know this is our critique of uh, this um, Graham Hancock's ancient apocalypse. You can find it on Netflix. It's it was very very interesting. I think you'll walk away as a Christian being encouraged. I think uh, when you look at the data and you look at whoa. He's actually taking seriously these myths. Yeah. Because as Christians, you read these myths and you're going to say, yeah, there were giants. Genesis yeah. 6 says there were giants. And then the myths say there were huge humans called giants. Yeah. Great. There was a global flood. Great. There's there's godlike beings that lead humanity astray. That's also talked about uh, in the Bible. Um, Deuteronomy 32, God sets up the uh, regions of the earth according to the sons of God which are angels. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can look at Daniel, I think chapter 11, where the archangel Michael goes and fights the prince of Persia. It's one of the, uh, he would have been the the angel that was set over Persia. 
But it looks like from the biblical text that some of these angels that God has set over in Deuteronomy 32, set, set over the world, that uh, they can go rogue. Mm-hmm. And the Archangel Michael fights them. So that seems to be happening in these stories. We have angelic like beings coming and giving humanity knowledge. That also happens in the Book of Enoch. We have the Watchers coming down and giving humanity knowledge on cosmetics and how to make women beautiful and uh, fake and how to use technology and stuff. So the uh, Book of Enoch's extra biblical. It is quoted in Jude, but it's not canon. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it might actually have some pretty accurate history. I would I would treat it as history that you can take with a grain of salt. Not not canonized scripture, obviously. Right. Yeah. But the Jews did always read it along with the uh, Apocrypha, and um, it, it was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Book of Enoch is pretty important, I think. Mm-hmm. But even apart from the Book of Enoch, you can see in the Book of Daniel and Deuteronomy that there are angelic beings that come to humanity to give them knowledge, extra yeah. extra knowledge. And we have that happening all throughout these mythological stories, angelic beings, uh, giants, um, global flood, uh, a culture that uh, all has the same kind of um, architecture, which is coming back to Babel. Babel yeah. was where the ziggurat kind of started. And then we have all these other cultures uh, having ziggurats and temples and things. Pyramids. And pyramids. And then the, the, I forgot the, the uh, serpent symbologies everywhere. Yeah. We yeah. have all these pagan uh, devil-worshipping societies always depicting serpents. It's on, It was in Malta. It was in Ohio. It was in uh, uh, Gobekli Tepe in mm-hmm. um, Turkey. In Turkey. Yeah. So all over the world, we have symbology of the serpent. You know why is that important? Well, the serpent is what led Adam and Eve astray. Yeah. And the serpent—he's probably around like a roaring lion, the dragon. He wants to destroy humanity. That's why he comes to humanity and leads them astray. So we have a lot, I think, of biblical data. You walk—you'll walk away seeing all these myths and the way he portrays it as whoa. The Bible gives me an accurate description of human history. This is yeah. awesome. I love it. So I walked away encouraged. Um, I guess. Let me, let me summarize here important points and then Andy, you close us out with any last thoughts you got. Yeah. So important points we think you can extract from Graham Hancock, taking the mythology seriously, presupposing that humans were advanced in the past. We mm-hmm. should under a biblical worldview. For sure. Uh, we can look at the similarities between ancient cultures like we just said and you can presuppose ancient catastrophe through flood, heavenly beings exist and giants walk the earth just like we just talked about. Those are the main points we think you can walk away with from – Watching that as a Christian and still maintain your, your Christian allegiance to, yeah. to God's word. So, Andy, any last thoughts, I guess, before we wrap up here? No, very interesting. I would agree. Um, uh, I want to wrap up with a verse from First Timothy 1, a couple verses here uh, that I think are important. Because as interesting as these discussions are, I think it's important to say, ultimately, we have to believe the Bible first. And while we might disagree about Graham Hancock and <laughs> yeah. and a ha- whether or not he's pseudo whether or not he's a pseudo pseudo archaeologist or how much of these were created before or after the flood how much of our timeline you agree with yeah um, I think it's important to to remember this um, warning from Paul in First Timothy when he says uh, in uh, again chapter one verse three as I urged you when you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So I think it's just important to remember that That's good. as we're thinking through, like what happened, how exactly do these events and these buildings fit in with the Bible? Ultimately, the story in the Bible is the most important. There's a reason why yes. the why creation in these events only took what like 11 chapters in Genesis. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, all that's 11. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not that it's not the important part of the Bible. It's not the main part of our story. And the main part of our story is focused on God and glorifying him and Christ. Yes. There's a reason why it was it 2000 years ago is when our world I mean, really we reset changed. his calendar. Yeah. We reset our calendar around a single person, the most important person in history. And that's, that's what's important is the gospel. And again, whether or not, it, whether or not the world was created 12,000 years ago, <laughs> 13,000 years ago, whether it was created 5,000 years ago. I mean, ultimately we have to remember that the Bible is true. The gospel is true. And Christ is most important. Amen. 
That's good. Yeah. Let's end right there. So um, thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate your attention through this longer episode. But it was – I think it was it was needy, uh, needy to talk about and uh, just want to interact more with culture. That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast is uh, apply the Christian worldview to all of life, all of Christ for all of life. So watch a, watch a series on Netflix. I'm gonna apply. I'm gonna apply God's word to that. That's what I'm gonna do as a Christian. So hopefully you're you're benefiting from these kind of conversations that you can engage in this exact same kind of activity uh, on your own. You know, you don't need Andy or I to make you know help you think through these things. You can have God's word as your sure and steady anchor and foundation to everything that you encounter in the world. So go into the world confident that you can apply God's word to that and have an answer to those that would ask you for a hope that's within you you know, with gentleness and respect. So, uh, yeah, continue to do that friends. Hope that you are encouraged by this episode. Um, you can reach me at for the king podcast at gmail.com. If you want to interact with anything Andy and I talked about, and if you want to, I, I guess, ask Andy anything specifically, you can just, you know, reach, I, I'll get it to him. So if you want to uh, send an email or anything, and you can always uh, check out what I'm doing at for the king pod on Gab or Twitter. It's my social media outlets uh, for the podcast. So appreciate you guys listening to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Soli Deo Gloria.